HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Heritage Foods USA, the nation's largest distributor of heritage breed pigs and turkeys. For more information, visit heritagefoodsusa.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Hello, Greenhorns. This is Greenhorns Radio, radio for young farmers, by young farmers. And today we are really going out on the limb because we're talking about farming bugs and we're talking about farming soldier flies. And it's very unusual, and I know that you've kind of heard rumors about this. We had a woman at the Cornell farm hack who was involved with this and now this character Robert Olivier has showed up into my inbox thanks to interesting rumors around the world and now we're in conversation about his amazing project called Grub Tubs putting these bugs to conform food to transform food waste into high protein animal feed for chickens and other animals welcome to the show Robert welcome Severin <laughs> so, um, hello, welcome to the show, and please, will you mind telling me how the heck did you first decide to get involved in growing soldier flies? Oh, that was 20 years ago. I was an undergrad student studying environmental science and finance, and I, you know, found it unique that there was an organism that could eat anything inside of a compost pile in a matter of 24 hours or less. Yet, when we read any information or literature, scientific papers on the organism, the only studied papers were there were by the pesticide companies telling us how to kill it. So I thought that that was very biased at the time and said, we need to know more about this organism. So that was almost 20 years ago. So you've been in love with this worm for 20 years. Absolutely. Okay, so tell us a little bit about the worm. Where does it come from in nature, and how does it behave? 
and how do you I mean, this is an audience of farmers, so we'd love to know some stuff about, like, what does this animal need to, to survive? I just need nutrients. That's the main cycle. Uh, there's a lot of uh, flies have a bad rep because many flies are associated with spreading disease. The black soldier fly is native to the Americas and is not a pest fly. One of the reasons is that the flying adults uh, only reproduce and so the only time that they ever go near some type of waste or near your dinner plate or anything is right when the female is about to lay her eggs. So they're not associated like with housefly and other filth flies with, um, you know, cross-contaminating from one uh, organic pile to another. They just, they only go near waste once. And that's, and a few hours later, the female actually dies. So it's a very important to point that out, that you're actually... Um, breeding or farming a non-pest species. And then what we typically like to do is um, we typically like to feed the larva because the larva has the most nutrients available in its final stage, which is the pre-pupa stage. But basically right before they're about to cocoon or pupate, that's when they're the richest in both fat and protein. And so that is where we harvest them automatically. And so by harvesting insects, we're able to feed these then to chickens. Um, we don't have no need for pelletizing or crazy, um, you know, feed processes because nature has created a very nutritious pellet-sized chitin-coated um, organism, which is these prepupa. And so we love feeding these to our chickens, and the chickens love these as well. Okay, so what you're saying is the convenient... The chicken is able to eat a perfectly shaped, is it a larva? No, it's not a larvae. It's a pupae. It's, the, it's a pre-pupae. It's the last. It's so a pre-pupae. When we think of larvae, we think of them being white, correct? And when we okay. think of a pupa, the pupa have a darker color, sometimes black. And in the case of the black soldier fly, it's going to come black. So the pre-pupa is that transition between white and black. So they're typically brownish, and they're already very docile. Also at this stage, one of the things that the, these insects do is they leave their gut. They have a very adaptive gut that can eat all kinds of nutrients, but because of many a times our waste piles are high in bacteria, they actually leave their gut in the waste pile and they start migrating out, and that's that pre-pupa stage. So they also clean their insides right before they migrate. And it's because of them cleaning their insides that the flying adults that later emerge are not a pest species because they cannot eat. So the female literally has to fly around for five days, enough to get pregnant and lay her eggs. So most people don't notice these, this species at all. They're typically a canopy species. They like sunlight. They like to be seen by their own species. And so they have certain camouflage tactics that they use in the canopy. So most people are even not aware that they are surrounded by black soldier fly, yet they're an integral part in our ecosystem. And so that's why we're so interested in these, because they can take any type of nutrient with different moisture content, different nutrient content, different digestibility, different, you know, completely something unknown. And they make something very specific 
You know, their, their protein profile is very consistent. They're very high in energy because the flying adults have to survive that entire period off of their fat reserves. So they're energy-rich and protein-rich. And so when you think about insects in a broader role in, you know, in ecology, they're the recyclers. But when we look at agriculture, we only see typically plants and animals and very little recycling organisms, maybe composting microorganisms. But on the larger organisms, there's also an entire ecosystem that we need to take advantage of. So what we're doing with grub tubs is we're actually cultivating or automating the rearing of these insects as part of an agricultural paradigm. So if in agriculture, if we can have both plants, animals, and recyclers working together, we are starting to get into a more sustainable system than just trying to artificially increase our yields using petrochemical stimulants. So because a lot of the um, rhetoric that we've heard about farming with insects has been about growing insects for food and saying things like, wow, it's such a waste of land to grow meat and it's such a waste of land to grow feed and we should just be growing insects instead. And that didn't ever come across so well in Vermont and there was a bunch of livestock farmers there. And they were kind of saying, well, how could this fit into our existing system? And you're saying for poultry food that these little capsulated insects are incredibly nutritious and they can, add, it can kind of fit into an already um, existing framework. Tell me, yeah. what's your vision for how this fits into the ecology of a city? And, the, um, like, you're in Austin, Texas, trying to make this grub tubs thing happen, and Austin, Texas is also the place where there's an incredible boom in laying eggs on pasture because there's an organic feed mill that makes that possible, and so all sorts of entrepreneurs are able to buy the grain, organic grain, and do pastured eggs and charge very nice price per dozen. How does your worms and your soldier flies fit into that paradigm? Well, uh, Cameron from Coyote Creek, which is the organic feed meal here in Eagland, not too far away, he's actually on our advisory board, and he loves the idea. Because organic soy is, as a feed ingredient for a layer feed is very expensive. It's sometimes up to $900 to $1,000 a ton. And if we know, if we really, you know, if we're looking at egg prices, you know, egg prices are directly reflect feed prices because feed is the biggest cost to any layer operation possible. So what we're able to do by getting rid of the organic soy component in the feed and strongly reducing the organic corn component, so minimizing the inputs of organic corn and, so and soy, we're actually creating now a feed that is more geared towards organic nutrients and minerals, where the house of the feed is now coming in the form of insect. And this actually kind of makes sense, because if I walk into an organic soy or corn field, or even a conventional corn field, and I put it, and I unleash, you know, a hundred chickens, what are they eating? They're going to eat all the insects in the field. And so, it, so in a way, what we're really doing is we're uh, connecting, or what Grubtubs is doing is we're in the form of connecting the nutrients that our cities are now throwing away, 
but because of a food waste ban in the city of Austin, there's 5,800 restaurants that need to find an alternative way of recycling their nutrients. And so Grubtubs um, engages them to come pick it up, and then we drop it off at the farm for free. So that is a easy way to connect the cities with the farms so farmers don't have to become waste haulers or anything like that. But the second thing that we've learned from farmers is, is they say, well, this organism is great, but it's not year-round. Uh, I don't know much about it. And so very early on, we learned that farmers don't want to be entomologists. They don't want to have to understand all of the life cycles of the insect. So we have a hatchery where we deal with the flying adults that lay the eggs, and then we hatch those insect eggs. And then those three-day-old hatchlings is what we also deliver to the farm. So the farmers get nutrients and hatchlings, and they have specialized equipment on farm that allows them to combine those two. And so every day we add new nutrients, we add new hatchlings, and every day the farmer is able to harvest fully grown uh, grubs. And these are the pre-pupa like we talked about earlier. And the great thing about the pre-pupa is they, they will migrate out. So they want to find a way out of the system. We provide that for them. And so for the farmer, it takes about 30 to 45 minutes a day to collect these larvae. But we can do this to about a half a ton to a ton a day. So now you start looking into, oh, this, this can scale up to a fairly large poultry flock, you know, 1,000, 2,000, 3,000 birds, which are still considered, you know, in the big scheme, uh, small. But that, that is, you know, that's the upper end for, for small producers or family farmers. And so we like the idea that family farmers can, you know, get their feed costs out. So to understand the feed cost component, working with Coyote Creek, the feed mill, we said, okay, what happens when we give half black soldier fly and half organic feed that we get from the feed mill? And we re retool the ratios and make sure that we have good um, digestibility and all, all the measures that we need. And then we found out that we were able to drop the price of the feed cost by 40%, almost to where conventional price would be for an organic feed. So that right there, I think, is revolutionary um, because a lot, of, a lot of people have been incorporating you know, um, good nutrient cycles in their farms, but they're not really getting nutrients from the outside. And so by, getting, by, by us delivering nutrients to the farms, and in 24 to 48 hours, we have fresh grubs, then that changes dynamic. And our reception from our farmers has been very positive because farmers have this feeling that, you know, things that are alive are better. And so our grubs were alive within, you know, a few hours prior to being fed to the chickens. And so now it's starting to become a fully, a fully very vibrant, very dynamic ecosystem cycle versus just store-bought feed that can sit there for a few months. Um, and so it's really, you know, half of this is biology, and the other half of it is actually logistics. Well, it's so wonderful to find an entomologist who wants to do logistics with family-scale farmers to produce high-value protein feed for laying hens on pasture. I mean, this is a unique moment in our history. But one thing we haven't covered yet, why are they called soldier flies? You know, I actually don't know. They, they are, they are, um, I, they're, they've had many a names, 
another very common name is the privy fly, which had back in the day when a lot of farmsteads had uh, outdoor toilets. Uh, they would colonize these as well. And so we see a lot of interest in Africa, for example, to cultivate this fly specifically for that purpose. Um, and um, But, you know, they are quite large, and uh, but they're very docile. Uh, they don't like to waste a lot of energy, and they're slow flying. So when you see them, most people actually think they're like a black wasp. Um, so they kind of, you know, they're a little bit intimidating, but they're really slow. So, no, you know, there's no reason to be afraid of them. But, yeah, they're, they're la rather large, and like other fly species, they're typically black. Um, but, you know, they've had many a names because people notice them in the weirdest places. Yeah, so maybe they're, maybe they're soldier flies because they're easily deployed for our purposes, but maybe we just will create a new name that's not so militaristic, <laughs> and we can deploy them for a regional agriculture. So, um, how does your vision? How does your vision evolve from here? Like, what do you need for this to become a model in Austin, Texas, that we hear about through Farm News, and then it starts happening in all sorts of cities all over the country? Like, what does it take for you to get to that place? Well, it, it it always, a lot of the, you know, just like with solar panels, it required some political initiative to get it off the ground. Um, we're really needing the same. And the city of Austin has done that by really telling, every, by obligating all food permit holders not to throw food in the landfill. That was the first start. So this, because every time that we go talk to a restaurant and we say, hey, do you want to do this? Do you want to give us your scraps? They say, well, why should I? And when you then are able to say, but you have to, it's the law, or you can get fined $2,000 a day, um, suddenly the restaurant says, okay, that makes sense. And, and, and then when we t explain to them that for every five gallons of uh, food that we pick up, we're actually creating or recovering enough nutrients for a dozen eggs to come back, then they start understanding this concept of, wait a second, oh, yeah, as a restaurant, we support uh, farm-to-table, but what you're doing as a business model is really from whatever's on the table or the kitchen counter in this sense back to the farm. That's also important. So farm-to-table has been a fantastic program for local agriculture and small producers because it's giving a premium for all their hard work. But what if now we could also, by integrating our cities with our farms, find a subsidy for some of the most expensive farm inputs, and in livestock, in the case of livestock, this is definitely feed. And so, you know, organic feed, organic soy, organic corn are very expensive. And not needing organic soy in your feed formulation, that leaves a lot of flexibility up to the farmer to make his own feed. And so with grub tubs, we believe in a concept that I've coined Feed autonomy. Feed autonomy stands for three things. Feed autonomy, first and foremost, is the right for a farmer to make his own feed. And many a times this has been highly debated, and there's a lot of regulation that wants to come in and take that right away from farmers. So I very, very much believe that this is an essential component to making this model work. The second thing is feed autonomy means that you are able to farm within your food shed, within your local environment, independent of big corn and big soy. 
And um, the third aspect that I really believe what is necessary is feed autonomy also means that the farmer has the freedom to set his own price. When we look at a lot of contract farming with companies like Tyson, these big corporations that basically dictate the market, farmers are no longer able to negotiate the price for what they sell, nor for the inputs that they buy. By allowing farmers to make their own feed, Grubtubs very much wants to work with farmers to give them that control of how much they're making. And I think it's really important for family farms that are near urban areas to have a good cash flow, because if we can make sure that these farmers can make a very, you know, a decent or more than decent living, that's what's necessary to maintain our urban farms so they don't get sold for, you know, rural or, or urban development. And so, every, you know, land developers want to, you know, they want to buy up every farm they can. And so, but if we can make sure that farmers can make a really good living, um, that's exactly where we come from. So table to farm helps a lot, but, and farm to table also. But combining those two, really integrating both our cities and our farms, that's a subsidy that cannot be taken away or outsourced to Nicaragua or Ecuador where they're cutting down rainforest in order to feed America. So really what we so that's really where we see this model heading and most importantly we need farmers to be profitable because if farmers are profitable then we ha- we're going to get more chickens that come back to Austin and as we have more chickens we have more demand for uh, the what the restaurants are throwing away. So it's it's cyclical, which is very different than most agricultural models. Well, one thing also about food waste from restaurants is that many of the proposals that are to do with food waste propose feeding that food waste to pigs. But the current regulatory framework in the U.S. says that feeding cooked post-consumer plate, like the food from scrapings of plates, um, is not allowed to be fed to pigs, um, whereas I'm presuming that it is allowed to be fed and converted in through the intestines of a soldier fly, and that there's not the reason that it's not allowed to feed to pigs is because of concerns about trichinosis, I believe. So it seems like you yeah. get away with. Um, there's there's many a questions there. For example. Uh, some it's, it, there's some federal regulation, but there's also statewide regulation. For example, in Texas, no meats can be fed to pigs. Okay, uh, but the the grubs are do fine uh, eating the meat. And so what we also have seen is is that one of the main ingredients that pigs really need for good 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 growth is they need good lysine. And uh, insects or grubs uh, are are very high in lysine typically. And if you think about what is it that the pig loves to do, it is they'll root for grubs, you know, around, you know, uh, in in the ground, and they'll try to find any type of larva that's there, and they'll eat it happily. And so, so a pig is a wonderful candidate also um, to take in uh, portions of a food waste stream. Um, but many a times, if there's regulations that say, well, if there's meats there or if there's post-consumer stuff, you can't use it, then then that stream suddenly is not available to the pig, but it is available to, uh, you know, insects. And so there is, at this point, no regulation against feeding anything to insects. Um, Maybe that could come later, but at this point, 
uh, you're allowed to feed anything you want to insects, and then we can take what we're feeding the what we, you know, what we have the insects for is we can use those for pigs, for fish, and for chickens. It's so exciting. I'm I'm just wondering if you're getting the word out in enough agricultural places that you can get farmers salsa to support you or farm advocates because you know we're running a very wonderful mafia here in sustainable agriculture and there's all sorts of incredibly passionate people moving information up and down um, the scales of information and um, anyway I think we should be in deeper cahoots with the bug people like yourself. Hello? Oh, I'm still here. Okay, sorry. I'm talking about being in deeper cahoots. Can you repeat? Sorry. I'm happy to repeat. I'm happy to say it's so exciting, and I'm wondering how we get the word out to more um, farm organizations and farm organizers because I think there's going to be a lot of interest, even like food policy councils. Yes, I, and I I'm, wonder what I'm have been ad- who have been the actors that you've been in touch with um, in Austin. Well, we're in touch with the local extension agents um, because they are a wealth of information. But we do realize that a lot of the extension agents are typically fed a lot of information from the you know um, the overarching agricultural industry channels, and so um, we have just also kind of looked at the regulations directly. And one of the reasons that GrubTubs is not an animal feed company is we don't make and bag a commercial feed is because of the fact that, you know, there's federal regulation that is not in place yet to put insect meal on a commercial feed label. But by working directly with farmers, farmers do have the right to make their own feed. And that right has not been challenged because there are about 50, over half of the feed that is being consumed in the United States is actually not regulated. And that's, this is partially due or thanks to the big beef lobbies that don't want federal oversight and the big CAFOs, which is something that we're kind of against, right? Yet, at the same time, those over our You can benefit from their loophole. So we're using the same loophole as the CAFOs. So Ooh. that is exactly right. So we're the CAFOs have the complete right to make their own feed. It's non-regulated except for the antibiotics. So when an FDA inspector goes into a CAFO, he looks at the antibiotics in the fridge and he's out there again and he leaves. And so in a way, what's going on in those CAFOs is extremely unregulated. We don't know what goes on there. Okay. And so in that sense, we're using the same blanket law, but for now supporting small farmers, non-CAFOs, people that have a, a larger permaculture basis in what they do. And, but philosophy is not good enough to change the you know, food system. Every farmer I meet wants to farm without chemicals or fossil fuels. You know, they want to make food. They, they're not in the business of creating chemical compounds. But yet at the same time, when it comes to price, this is where a lot of farmers have an issue with. And so for us, getting animal feed costs that's locally available down to a price point that is competitive that is, for us, the first step that is necessary. And it's the same in solar, for example. Solar industry didn't take off until there was something called grid parity. 
there was parity between the price of solar and the price of conventional electricity. Well, we're hoping to get the feed parity. If we can create feed parity in a local community, then we should see local livestock production coming back increasing. Our goal in Austin is to take a current population of about 25,000 birds up to 250,000 birds within the next five years. The only way that we can do that is, you know, partially by appealing to the philosophy of farmers, but in the end, we have to be able to appeal to the wallet of the farmer. And that's why for, for us, feed autonomy really means the right for farmers to set their own, you know, profit. And that's something that we've lost in factory farming. And a lot of farmers are in debt. And then the only option they have left is to break their contracts with, you know, Tyson and sell the family farm to developers. And that's what we're trying to stop. Well, it's really a great, it's a really a great model and a great vision and a great tactic and a great approach and a great attitude that you're bringing. And I really wish you so much success with this. Um, I wanted to see if you could reference a few places where our audience could learn a little bit more about Soldier Fries or reach out and find you to get information um, about this kind of thing. Do you want to just tell us some places to find information online and with you? Yeah, we're just launching a website for Austin called grubtubs.com. Um, that's an easy way. And, um, but also on social media, we're at grubtubs. Um, on like Twitter, Facebook, etc. And then we also, um, I designed a unit called the Biopod, and you could find that at, at thebiopod.com. So T H E B I O P O D.com. And so either one of those websites is easily accessible, but we also have Facebook pages or Twitter pages. And um, so, you know, and then if somebody wants to call me, we're 844. Grub tubs. So that should be an easy number, 844 Grub tubs. And you're based in Austin, Texas, which That's is correct. the perfect climate for bugs, apparently. Yes, it is. <laughs> well, congratulations on your great work, and um, I wish you every success. And I look forward to learning about this at, you know, one thing I was thinking is try and get yourself in front of conferences and sustainable agriculture conferences because then you really would get the buzz going. But anyway, well, if anyone else has any thoughtful tips on how to help the, the bug man get the word out, well, there's there also the American Pat. There's Go a ahead. nonprofit organization called Little Herds, um, and uh, you can contact them at littleherds.org. And they are very much into any type of insect for food or feed. And they're a nonprofit organization, and they're wonderful advocates of what we're doing. And so I would also highly encourage to look at that. And we will be at Earth Day Texas in Dallas for the at the end of April uh, celebrating Earth Day. And we're going to have a very, very, very unique booth that will allow people to go inside of a cage of thousands of uh, black soldier fly um, and then take pictures for social media, et cetera. So we're ready to create a buzz, um, but first is first is we've got a five-acre farm here in Austin that is starting to produce eggs, and we got about 200 heritage birds that have come out here, 
And, um, you know, we've got already a few million uh, grubs eating away at food waste that we're picking up from food trucks here in Austin. Well, if I were Vice TV, I would head right over there because there's nothing so good as B-roll of pupating insects. i got to go because we ran out of time. What a great pleasure. Thank you, Robert. Thank you, Severin. You have a great afternoon. Thank you. Look forward to meeting you in person sometime. Bye-bye. Absolutely. Bye-bye. listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. 